Welcome to Out of the Blank. Welcome to another episode of Out of the Blank Podcast. Bob, it's a pleasure to have you on the show, man. Would you like to introduce yourself to everyone out there listening? Thank you. Yes. My name is Bob Fantina. Uh, I'm an author, a journalist, an activist. I'm uh, very interested in uh, U.S. foreign policy, all of which I disagree with. I'm also interested in uh, happenings in the Middle East. Settler col colonialism is one of my main areas of interest. And so, of course, I'm uh, focused very closely on what's happening in Palestine and also in Kashmir. How'd you get interested in just focusing in foreign policy and also topics in the Middle East? I uh, Through the propaganda topic, which I'm sure we're going to end up talking about at some point, um, I started to learn more about Islam and kind of realized it was the same thing we did during the 60s and 70s with communism. And we kind of just labeled it as such. And then people have just kind of either feared it or just not wanted to understand it a little bit deeper. And I like to try and keep a balanced approach. So I talked to both sides of the argument and then I learned more about Islam and I'm like, okay, so we just did exactly what we did with communism way back in the day. And there, I think there are some reasonable things with communism that people were probably really afraid of that were different, but it's been a label to use on everything back then. And it eventually became to this point where it was like, now I got to learn about propaganda and realize what has been sewed into my head and what is the actual truth of the matter. Yes. After the end of the Cold War, the supposed end of the Cold War, the U.S. needed a new uh, a new big bad wolf. It needed something else to unite the people against and uh, make people think this was a, a threat to the American way of life, et cetera, et cetera. And they chose uh, Islam. That was a convenient target following 9-11 when uh, zealots or, or extremists who were... Uh, Islamic uh, did the the airplane hijackings and so on, but that doesn't represent uh, Islam any more than uh, voodoo represents Christianity. It's just it's a perversion of it. It's an extremist version of it. But the U.S. uses that to unite people so it can continue its wars of aggression. Uh, those are sort of proxy wars now. The Saudi Arabian war against Yemen, which is brutal and the savage war that the U.S. is supporting, the uh, the terrorists supporting terrorist uh, anti-government terrorists in Syria, the the warmongering and saber rattling now going on towards Iran, and of course the continued uh, aggression of the Palestinian people by Israel, all financed by the United States. So countries that are mainly Muslim are targeted because the U.S. government has discreetly said that Muslims are the enemy. And do you know what what, what the reasoning behind that is? I mean, I, I, I would, the, the Palestine subject, whenever that gets brought up or something like that, I'm not too familiar on it. Um, I've just had one guest that was very anti-Semitic in his views, and I did not agree with him at all. I am Jewish. Um, so it was kind of like, I don't, can't hate myself. I mean, I think, you know, we get to this point where we end up putting labels on something without fully understanding it. So I'm just curious. I mean, I know a little bit more about the Islamic terrorism, um, how that word's been kind of broad brushed. Like if you ask an average American what you would label a terrorist, people immediately think of an ethnicity. And it's like, that's not what it is at all. There's extremists, there's white terrorists, there's any anything. It's an extremist viewpoint. And that does not make up, I would say, the majority. But somehow we've been conditioned to a point where I don't know if it's a fear thing, if it's we get scared and the government realizes they can use our fear to their advantage. I mean, how many actions were justified on the basis of basically nothing but calling something as a problem we need to take out? Yes, exactly. And in the United States today, if a white man commits a crime, he's disturbed, needs help. If a black man commits a crime, he's a thug. If uh, a Muslim man commits a crime, he's a terrorist. Same crime. But I want to comment on, on uh, your, your question about Palestine, Israel. Uh, criticism of the Israeli government is in no way anti-Semitic. There is, there is no relation between the two. Many people who are uh, very pro-Israel try to conflate them, but that is simply false. It's simply a myth. 
It's the government of of Israel has been documented as apartheid by uh, Amnesty International, Human Rights Watch, and B'Tselem, which is a major uh, uh, human rights organization in in Israel. The uh, the government of Israel is in violation of many uh, uh, many human rights. The human rights violations that it it perpetrates on a daily basis are just astounding. So none of this has anything to do with Judaism. Uh, there are many people in there's there's Jewish Voices for Peace in the United States and a, a sister organization here in Canada, the name of which I don't remember at the moment. Uh, they are very active in supporting the people of Palestine. They are not self-hating Jews. That's a, a term that had been bandied around for a while. I think it's lost any credibility it ever had. These are people who are concerned about human rights, uh, and they are concerned about the human rights violations that Israel continues to commit, and they oppose those. There are people in Israel who are working uh, actively for the uh, for justice for the Palestinians, and they oppose government policies. Again, they are not uh, anti-Semitic. Uh, a lot of them are Jewish themselves, or are practicing Jews. I don't know if practicing is the right is the right term, but they are active in the religion of Judaism, uh, and they have pointed out that. Uh, the idea after after the Holocaust, never again, wasn't just never again to Jews. It was never again to anybody. These these kinds of injustices should not be perpetrated perpetrated against anybody under any circumstances. And they're seeing many of the same things happening, and they're opposing it. So I, I've kind of given a long-winded response, but I want to stress to you and to, to your listeners that opposition to government practices in Israel in no way equates to anti-Semitism. There, there is no relation, no correlation whatsoever. It's always been a topic that I kind of dusted my hands with because it's just so controversial. Um, a lot of people, it's either really hardcore extremists um, and not against the government, but just the way that they maybe phrase it or say something where it comes off very anti-Semitic. Now, I am one-eighth or like one-sixteenth Ashkenazi. I'm not religious in any sense of the means, but that's a Jewish heritage. Um, but is it much like China and the CCP, like nobody says it's racist for yelling at the CCP. I mean, the CCP does some horrible things with like Uyghur Muslims. Mm -hmm. And it it is it is the same. But because uh, Judaism has such a history of being persecuted and it's, 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 a, it's a terrible history and through through generations and generations. Um, and there is a, a very strong Jewish identity uh, that any criticism of the nation that has declared itself uh, the homeland of the Jewish people and only the Jewish people, and that in itself is a problem, uh, can be seen as, can be misinterpreted by people who wish to misinterpret it as anti-Semitic. But it, it is, it would be the same as saying that uh, if, if you're criticizing the government of Italy, for example, Italy is a mainly Catholic nation, well, you're anti-Catholic. It's, it's just not the case at all. We have to look at and separate government policies from any other consideration. What is the government doing, regardless of whether it's a mainly, it's it's the nation of Israel or if it's India? Uh, and I have um, many criticisms about the Indian government now with what uh, the Hindu majority is doing in in Kashmir. Uh, they're, they're occupying it. They're brutally repressing the native Muslim population. This doesn't mean I'm anti-Hindu or anti-Indian. It just means that I'm anti-human rights violations. And that's what we need to stress is the human rights violations. And that's what's important. Do you think that it's on purpose that a lot of these subjects that boil down either get – like there's a large amount of people that were on social media for a while literally calling people racist for things that weren't even the definition of racism. They were just kind of saying the word outright, and it got to a point where the word kind of lost a little bit of meaning because, um, I mean, you could be Pepsi racist. You could do whatever. Like people were doing that, um, and it just goes, man, if that's a tactic – that's a really good tactic to get something so controversial that people will never want to talk about it or that you can't have a conversation about things and try and understand like people won't even ask questions where, you know, like anything that ever anyone mentions the word Jewish, I just immediately go, nope, sounds like an anti-Semitism thing and just step out of it, even though it could be a real 
thing about a policy issue that the government's doing or some government corruption that's going on. Same thing with like, I think we have more exposure on China, but it's like anything that can be one of these controversial subjects becomes a point to where we can't talk about it because of the fact that you get labeled either racist or you get labeled as something like this. And I go, man, if you're the government and you're really questioning things that we're doing in, you know, another country, like, uh, something to do with islam or something of that sort i think it was justified for a point after 9 11 not saying it was i'm just saying that people didn't question because there was this whole war on terror aspect of things but then eventually when people started kind of wising up and realizing it was all kind of bs they started going hey what's going on and then that even lands in controversial territory where there's like patriots out there that'll be like you're a commie i'm like well how am i a commie if i just am interested in so what the hell we're even doing over there and we're spending so much money over there yeah, and during the, I, I've done a lot of research on the Vietnam War, and during that that time period, there was a bumper sticker: "America, love it or leave it." No, uh, then there was a, a one that also became popular: "America, love it or change it." But there's this idea that that you you've mentioned that if anyone uh, says anything that could possibly in any way be construed as racism, they're not going to say it. But there are things that need to be said that aren't racist. It's getting back to the Israel-Palestine thing. I am very critical of the, the new government as well as of the previous government. This has nothing to do with Judaism, but many people are hesitant to say anything because they don't want to be painted with the anti-Semitic brush. And I'm always stressing to people that that is simply not, it, it's just, it's there's no comparison between the two. I will combat anti-Semitism anytime I, I hear it, anytime I see it, in whatever form it, it shows itself. Same way, oh, I will combat uh, Islamophobia, homophobia, anything else. But I will also combat human rights violations, regardless of who is who is per, uh, uh, perpetrating them. And so uh, what you said is, is true, that so often terms get bandied around so much they lose their meaning. During the, the Trump administration, and, and since then, I saw interviews with people who accused uh, Biden of being uh, uh, what was it they said, uh, a Nazi socialist. These are, are two contradictory terms. You can't be both. But they heard these terms, they knew they were pejorative, and therefore they're going to label Biden or Harris or whoever with these things. It makes no sense. And it does cause, cause real viable terms to lose their meaning because it becomes so cloudy. Well, that's like with Ben Shapiro. I'm not a fan of him, but they called him a Nazi. And I'm like, I don't, if he wears his yarmulke. Like, I, right. I just, so this I is, I don't get it. It's, it's the same thing about it, it's, it's sort of relating to the old expression, oh, he's a self hating Jew. Well, no, he's a, a, a Jewish person who is, who disagrees with perhaps Israeli policy that doesn't mean he's self-hating it means he's looking at the policy and saying no i disagree with this that's perfectly legitimate i would shift this over to the vietnam subject something i probably know a little bit more about a lot of that like a lot of people i mean under rise of the underground press a lot of people were speaking out about the vietnam war but there's still this like i don't think I mean, maybe back then they didn't have the transparency we do now about what our government was actually really doing and kind of messing up a lot of things in hindsight. But I mean, even if we had something like that again today where there was a war and we were in another country like that, if you just take it back to times, would people still be divided as much as they were during the Vietnam War? I mean, that's I, I think it still would have that same division. There's still a large amount of people that have faith in whatever our government says and whatever they go to war with about is justified in some actions. I'm like, man, when they have to tilt the scales and then block a lot of information to justify an action of war, I mean, there's many reasons to go to war, but I think that's something you should probably look into a little bit more. And with that Vietnam subject, whenever I talk to like Peter Kuznick, who wrote Untold History of the U.S., um, any other person that studies Vietnam War and they talk about the horrible things that happened over there you get labeled like a, are you a communist it's like that doesn't mean they're a communist it's just it's propaganda to brainwash you kind of in the sense of like whenever someone defends maybe the opposing view or another country's view it's like you just lost home field advantage or you're it's like a sports team argument you know if you are from baltimore and you're not worshiping the ravens then you're just uh you're a betrayer of your own country you're a depraver of your own land it's like that's not what that is it's just there's a different view or you maybe like some other aspect that's going on or maybe you have some information on a different perspective. 
Yes, and this gets into the idea of propaganda and, and the lack of transparency and, and outright lies. Remember, prior to the invasion of Iraq, uh, the uh, Secretary of State Colin Powell went before the United Nations and said that he knows that the Iraqi government has uh, chemical weapons, and he held up a, a small vial. And he said, there's enough here to destroy all of New York or something. And it was all lies. None of it was true. The war lasted about four years. No weapons of mass destruction were ever found. But people uh, supported the war and they support the troops. We always have to support the troops. No, we don't. Um, I interviewed for one of my books uh, a couple of people who d deserted from uh, the U.S. military during the Iraq invasion because they had they had been involved in it. And they said, this is just wrong. This is just wrong. And so they they then... Uh, deserted and and served time in the in prison because of it, but the United States didn't want them to know these things. It's when you think of the 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 crimes, quote unquote, that uh, Edward Snowden or Julian Assange allegedly committed. What they committed was they exposed what the U.S. was doing. They exposed U.S. crimes, and they have been been ostracized and charged and and. Uh, really persecuted because of this, because the U.S. government doesn't want to know, doesn't want the people to know uh, the reason behind its geopolitical goals. It's always power and profit. Uh, you mentioned the the Vietnam War. That was a, a situation where the, uh, the the North was communist, the South wasn't, and they were reuniting. And the U.S. couldn't allow that to happen because no U.S. president can ever be seen as, as so-called uh, weak on a communism. So they inflated and exaggerated the Gulf of Tonkin incident to escalate that war, which lasted years, killed at least 2 million uh, uh, Vietnamese people. And the US ultimately basically surrendered. Uh, it never should have been involved in the first place. But even prior to the invasion, during the Eisenhower and Kennedy years, the US was sending money and was training insurgents in Vietnam, uh, a, which was a violation of international law. So the fact that the that some people want to want to expose what the U.S. is doing is not something that can be countenanced by the U.S. government. When it comes to propaganda, do you focus more what happens domestically or what happens more overseas? Most of my study, and in, in the book that that we're talking about a little bit today, was U.S. propaganda, but. It's propaganda happening in the United States towards uh, U.S. citizens, although it has an impact on U.S. allies, too, as U.S. citizens uh, support whatever war, whatever invasion and war the U.S. Uh, comes up with, whatever sanctions it it uh, implements around the world. For example, right now in Iran, the U.S. is is has sanctioned Iran uh, very brutally, and it's having a major impact on uh, the and has on the Iranian government. This, of course, is in violation of the JCPOA, which was the agreement the U.S. signed with Iran and a few other countries uh, back in 2015. But as the U.S. points out or or tries to highlight Iran as a, a major problem and as a threat to to peace and everything, U.S. citizens buy into it. And it it certainly seeps over into U.S. allies. Oh, the U.S. allies, European allies, can say the U.S. is opposed to everything Iran's doing. The people of the U.S. know what how horrible Iran is, et cetera, et cetera. These are all lies, but they get to be believed outside of U.S. borders. I might have the unpopular opinion in this, but do you think that it's media capture when it comes to our, the way our media reports things? Like whenever they talk about something, if they talk about a crucial issue or if it's propaganda of saying something about Iran, I mean, they were critical on Ukraine for a very long time before this whole thing broke out and they immediately flipped the whole 180. But they'll say things like the Democrats want you to be soft on this or the Republicans want you to be hard on this. And it's like, there's a healthy balance somewhere in the middle, but everyone's like they're talking about an issue and what we need to do as a, a country to go invade another country or to go handle a foreign problem or something like that. But then they blame it on like nobody's pointing out the real like what's the real justification for that action. They immediately just go to and what the Democrats don't want to tell you or what they're, I don't fall. I don't vote. I don't do any of the Republican Democrats. So I'm like 
impartial in this. Um, I believe deep state, 100%. I'll die by that sword. Um, but I just believe in a deep capitalistic system, and I think you can kind of look at like the way media reports things. And I think with media, they tend to blame it on the other political side rather than focusing on like what the hell is the point of even being in that country in the first place? Like I would always say that America should probably take a seat on the bench for a little bit because we seem to be in, evolved in a lot. And like I said, that's an unpopular opinion amongst most people. Uh, but it's it. I believe it's the truth that the United States is interfering and has for its entire history interfered around the world to the detriment of the countries it interferes in and often to the detriment of the people of the United States, but not to the wealthy. So uh, what you're saying about this, this polarization between Democrat and Republican and the media, uh, the media fostering that and, and encouraging that. During uh, World War II, for example, the media got news stories from the uh, U.S. government and said, unnamed sources say such and such. So it was just the U.S. government propaganda uh, saying what the U.S. government wanted people to know. So these unnamed sources were, were the U.S. government. And the one of the things that the U.S. is saying now is that the government of Iran is a destabilizing force in the Middle East. Look at what the government of the U.S. has done in the Middle East. Right now, continuing to support uh, anti-government organizations in Syria, uh, supporting the war in Yemen that, that I mentioned before, uh, uh, supporting uh, Israel's crimes against the uh, Palestinian people, uh, overthrowing the government several, uh, around 19... Uh, 2005, I don't know the exact year off the top of my head, of Egypt because it was too pro-Palestinian and not sufficiently pro-Israeli. Uh, in 1953, the U.S. overthrew the government of Iran, which is a democratic elected government, and installed the Shah of Iran, who served for uh, two decades, brutally oppressive to the people. They finally overthrew him in the 70s. But this was the United States causing interference, causing uh, instability throughout the Middle East. It's not Iran that's responsible for instability in the Middle East. It's the United States. So as you mentioned, the United States needing to take a back seat or, or sit on the bench for a while, it should do that permanently. The United States is the only country that has ever um, used nuclear weapons, and yet it wants to determine who can and can't have such weapons when it is in no position to, to say that. The United States has been at war for most of its history. It's 200 plus year history. It's, there's been very few times it has been at war either directly or involved in uh, supporting wars of other countries. So it's a very violent and warmongering nation. And in order to maintain that, to maintain the support of the people, it must use propaganda to twist its, its actions into some that can be seen in some regard as noble. Those actions aren't noble at all, but uh, it, but that's the purpose of propaganda, to make something seem what it isn't. When I got into the history of propaganda, or at least found an interest into it, was when I realized it was influencing a lot more than I thought. Like I, I know a simple like magazine or poster of like a German soldier eating a baby is one thing. You can go, okay, I don't believe that. Obviously, it's not real. Um, and I've seen some things with you know some during World War II versus the Nazis. There was propaganda that was out there that was good and only an aspect that it did help us realize that if a Nazi is being nice to you, they necessarily aren't really trying to be your friend. They might have other intentions out of foot, which was good in some cases. I believe that not every single one of them liked what they were doing. They kind of felt forced in a position. I've talked to people who are biographers on that. But if we talk about like a really dangerous example here is the fact of influencing movie scripts. I mean, the fact that the FBI chose their representation on screen, the fact that there was a lot of things that were going on on the screen that really just either, I mean, brainwashed people into hating a certain thing. I mean, if you ever look up the history of the film Pearl Harbor, we had to go to Japan and justify some certain aspects that we have in that film. And there was certain things that we stood hard ground on. Japan was like, you got to cut that out. Small little adjustments. One was a person and like in one of the scenes on the ship, there's a dude in the background that got lit up by a, a aircraft, just blow like just ripped up the smithereens and japan's like cut that out you don't need that that's extra stuff you don't need that and it's like this weird kind of policy that starts happening where it's like okay we don't want to go to war over a film but at the same time we are hurt and we do need to make a film about kind of this whole incident and it's going to be from our perspective and i think you know when you kind of start realizing okay so they influence scripts 
you are more, I guess, paying attention to influencing in scripts now. Simple things like thank God for the Marines at the ending of Jurassic Park 3. You know, small little stuff. But then you're like, but what did this stuff get made into? And then you have the interview. The interview with James Franco and Seth Rogen is a funny movie, but did you know that they took that little thumb drive of that uh, film and they put it on little helium balloons and tried to fl fly it into whatever China and people plugged that into their computers and suffered major consequences. I had to do they made a documentary about that. And I go again, meddling in foreign affairs and every country does it in each own. And I don't know how to stop that. It's probably never going to stop, but. I have to go. We have to also try and find a way to mitigate our damage here and our involvement in things. And that is a lot blame on military industrial complex in a sense. I mean, our intelligence agencies have been doing things. I mean, you can take it back to the J. Edgar Hoover days. They, the idea of a world police. Well, that didn't stop. They had a lot of stuff going on and nobody has really called them on their shit. I hate to say it like that, but it's the transparency aspect, which that's why there's many representations or ideas of people calling things false flags today because nobody knows what to believe. I don't – you influence a movie script. I'm like, hell, everything could be fake now. My parents could not love me. It's probably true. Uh, I just – there's a lot of things where I start going like you need to get transparency in a lot of these aspects of things. I think that America needs to come clean on their shit as well as uh, I believe other countries. I mean that's not our – duty to focus on what other countries are going to do to their people we need to focus on us right now and try and find ways i mean be accepting i guess of people that come over here i hate to say you know horrible what goes on in china but i really don't think we have any power of what that happens over there we just have to make sure we do not fall in that same category i i agree the u.s needs to clean up its own act before it can be uh extremely influential around the world um and you mentioned that all countries engage in propaganda and they do and all countries are interfering in or, or many countries are inter interfering in, in other nations but not none to the degree that the united states has the united states has uh over 800 military bases uh, around the world they are there to to be to prepare for attack uh so you know and that's far more than any other other nation that that has foreign military bases uh, the idea of the uh propaganda you also talked about uh what's going on other in other nations there are diplomatic uh means by which countries can influence other nations uh, again i because israel palestine issue is a is a major area of interest for me the united states gives almost four billion dollars in military and other aid to israel every year and israel continues to uh, steal Palestinian land, kill Palestinian people, imprison them without charge for years at a time. That could stop. The United States could use diplomatic uh, steps and say, you need to adhere to a basic standard of human rights adherence. Uh, if you don't, we're not going to send you a check this year. Well, we have economic sanctions we could be doing that we're not implementing at all. Exactly, exactly. But the United States believes and might makes right and if they don't like something, they'll simply bomb that thing until it no longer exists. And uh, and that, that's the way it's always operated. Three years ago, just a couple of days ago, was the anniversary, uh, the U.S. assassinated General Soleimani, a uh, very prominent and high-ranking Iranian general. His, his funeral was attended. Millions of people took to the streets in Iran. This was uh, a violation of international law. It occurred on Iraqi soil. The general was visiting there. It also killed an Iraqi uh, government official. But the U.S. government feels justified in doing this. We don't like a person. Well, we'll kill him. Now, prior to the uh, Biden's President Biden's election, and just for I didn't I vote third party. I'm I'm I live in Canada, but I'm still a U.S. citizen. I always vote third party. Independent. Uh, excuse me. Independent. I, I vote socialist. Okay, uh, and the um, the the uh, Jamal Khashoggi had been had been had been murdered in Turkey a few years before, and uh, Biden said this is a crime, and he had, and uh, the prince uh, has to be held accountable. Well, things have changed recently. Oh well, that's that's not something that we're going to concern ourselves with. Um, a U.S. citizen. Uh, journalist was murdered in uh, 
Palestine a few months ago, and there was at the beginning there was certain uh, uh, certain opposition. The U.S. was demanding some answers, but that's all faded because human rights violations, killing of journalists. Uh, the U.S. prides itself on free speech and freedom of the press, and so on. And yet, these countries are killing journalists, and the U.S. is doing nothing about it. So the hypocrisy there is really astounding. But this is part and parcel of what the United States does in in all of its uh, foreign relations and also domestically. Look at the the uh, way the police force, the mainly white police force, uh, kills and otherwise harasses uh, people of color and communities of, of color. Uh, and yet it doesn't change. Biden, again, one of his campaign promises was that would change. He's done nothing about it. So we're seeing just so much injustice internationally and domestically. Uh, and yet the United States uh, officials say the United States is, is a beacon on the hill. It's a democracy that's envied by the rest of the world. This is not believed outside of U.S. borders. This is going to be a really dumb question, so feel free if you don't agree. Don't don't agree. You remember, it was a couple of months ago. It was a two journalists. One they got kidnapped or something like that, and then they were lost. And there was like oh, this giant cry and video thing, news coverage of it when they returned home. Um, do you remember that at all? I don't. What which was in? Do you know what country it was in? I don't. I don't remember if it, I think it might have been Ukraine. Okay, that makes sense. But there was a reporter, a, a journalist, and there was like two two guys. And I go, is this not like the f movie with that – who's that guy, the comedian that always hosts the Gr Oscars or Grammys, and he's always rude as hell to people? Um, he's a British comic. I don't – oh, God, I'm blanking on his name. I know I know you mean. Keith? Not, uh, no. No, no. You know who I'm talking about, short guy. Um he plays in a bunch of movies out there, but he started a movie that was the exact same scenario that the news was covering. And I just kind of looked at it and like, I know the false flag term gets used a lot, but when I saw that live coverage and immediately they come down the escalators and it was like this whole, like, <gasps> like it was like, mm. to me, I was looking, I was like, I don't know why in my head, I think this is fake. I was like, I really don't know why. Like they immediately hugged the mom and then let go, hug the wife, let go, and then walk right over to the cameras and do an interview. And I'm like, well, hang on a second. I would think that if your plane just landed, you would be right there at when the plane lands, hugging them, not doing a giant show for whoever the media public and everything like that. And there was this large justification for we need to go over there and get those reporters back. And it was like, I, I don't know what that means. And I don't know, maybe that's me being conspiracy or me being skeptical, but how do you trust anything really anymore when you kind of look at everyone's kind of justification? I mean, all you need to do is show a missing influencer for four months on television who I've never heard of before then. And then it just goes away. And I go, what what is going on? I don't know. Why is the news just covering this? And they covered it for months straight. I know, again, you don't have to agree. I know that's conspiratorial, but I'm just saying, do you, I don't put it above them looking through the past of all of our intelligence operations and so much thing of regime change and divisivizing another country's population to stir up and overthrow one of their leaders, not because either, I don't know, they actually wanted to overthrow them or just because of the fact that they were just looking for someone that they could do better business with, someone that agreed with more alignment of the U.S. And I go, if a country is doing that, U.S. is doing that, then I start going, I do not put them above doing a show or doing a whole thing about this too. It's like, I don't agree with Anderson Cooper. Um, he had during the COVID pandemic, the Las Vegas mayor on, and um, she obviously was ridiculous, but he said something. He was like, don't you want to follow like the protocols of China? And she's like, this isn't China. This is Las Vegas, Nevada. And I'm like, oh, dude, <laughs> oh. what just what just happened? And Anderson Cooper's like, that's very ignorant. I was like, yeah, but you invited her on because you know that she's not as intellectually whatever as you are. I was like, it's a show. It's like our debates. They're just a show. They're people yelling back and forth. And again, conspiratorial. But that's my viewpoint from things where I start going like there's a deeper system at play here. And like, I don't think the president has power. I think they can do very visual things for people, gas prices and things of that sort. Sure. Um, but I think when it comes down to like a Supreme Court person who's on the seat for life or people in the intelligence community that are there for an extended period of time, um, 
they definitely are the ones in charge of a lot of things like that and then a capitalist system but feel free to disagree if you disagree no no i i don't disagree there, there are two points one i want to clarify my understanding of false flag which is i think close to yours it's uh an event that occurs that is either made to symbolize something else or it's staged and it, it's, it's completely false now kumia coming out of that basement Excuse me. You remember Kumia coming out of that base? Not Kumia. Who is, it? Who is it? I don't think I say his name last name right. Well, let let, let me give you another ex uh, example. During the Gulf War, or part of the Gulf War, uh, a young woman testified before Congress. She said she was a, a volunteer at a hospital uh, in uh, in Kuwait, and she saw uh, Iraqi soldiers come in take babies out of incubators, leave them on the floor and take the incubators because they were needed for something else. This was, this was quoted, her, her testimony was quoted uh, in the halls of Congress, used to justify the US invasion. It was uh, all over the, the television screens. Everyone everyone saw the Naraya testimony. Uh, so, and, and the war started. Turns out she was the daughter of the Kuwaiti ambassador uh, she had visited the hospital once at some point, uh, but just for a few minutes. She had never seen, she'd never been a volunteer there. She'd never seen uh, Iraqi soldiers there. She'd never even seen incubators there. She had, she'd just been in the hospital for some reason, briefly for a few minutes to, to see somebody or do some press thing and left prior to the, to the, to the war. But she was brought forward as this, this innocent young woman who'd seen these horrors and that was a huge propaganda tool, a huge false flag, huge propaganda tool to motivate the U.S. to get behind the war. And it was and it was very successful. It was all a lie. It caused untold suffering, but it accomplished what the U.S. government wanted it to accomplish. And human rights, uh, human dignity, uh, even human life is not important if it stands in the way of the U.S.'s geopolitical goals. It's anything to do with kids. As soon as that people hear that oh, right. kid's mm -hmm. word, it's immediately uh, emotion takes over, and then nobody acts normal when it comes to emotion. There's a lot of things that the public does that people see as like, a, and I, I get it. I'm not a parent, but I get it. There's it's just issues and things of that sort that um, even when I hear something about kids, I immediately just go blind with anger sometimes. But then I also try and think rationally of like, where's the evidence to support a lot of these claims that end up getting made? I have heard that propaganda tactic before. Um, but I, that's why I think it's like false flags. The reporter, whoever was on CNN, who apparently he got COVID and there was this big opening of him coming out of his basement, hugging his family. And it was all like a show. But someone had saw him a week before where he almost got arrested because he was in a fight with his neighbor on a new property addition to his house and i'm like look as much as we can go well that's just cnn or that's just whatever i'm like no this is this is how the world works there's a pitch and a show that needs to be played whenever fox news or cnn or whatever gets sued in court they say we fa fall in the same category as entertainment just like wwe and that's how they get out of that they're not really news but it's like this idea of like and i think it's the public's fault to be 100 percent honest with you i think we've accepted it for so long that someone when they're behind a giant news desk and they're wearing a suit and tie any information they say is 100 percent factual and i see that so much it's much like um i would hate to relate it to like uh i, I would say like court stuff like there's a lot of things like when you look at like a court proceeding is it not a game like it's winning and losing it people will deny the evidence or deny the facts in a case if it does not fit their client's best interests and other people will go to deny the other evidence of the case if they're looking for a prosecution or if they're trying to persecute somebody. So it's like it's just two people trying to see who's the smoothest talker. Um, a lot of times, I mean, there's people that are wrongly convicted, and we can say that society issues and a bunch of that stuff. But as the general public, we kind of just accept like even with – we'll take it back to like a JFK subject, the Warren Commission. There's 13 blue-studded cast people with giant-ass resumes that barely did any interviews, but the public goes, look, their word is good enough for me. I'm like, that's us throughout society. We have always looked for some type of giant show or some type of giant full-studded A-team-like cast that needs to give us the answers because you think that their opinion is so valid based on their past events. I'm like, look. I could I have 1300 something episodes. I ain't going to put it on a fucking resume to be able to get a job. It's not going to work. So it's like 
you know what I mean? So like, I think you, you can, you can consider some of it valuable, but there's a lot of stuff where as the general public, we've stopped really the answers and the kind of the questioning that you were told throughout your educational system of like, always ask a question. It never hurts to ask. Now it's like, don't ask a question. Um, you're a conspiracy theorist, or that's not critical thinking. I'm like, actually a lot of this stuff between conspiracy and critical thinking, I can't tell the difference sometimes. It's much like the mob and the government when they're working together to try and assassinate Castro. If you mention a heart attack gun, people will call it a conspiracy, but we have footage of them showing that. And I go, that's like getting the public in on the discussion. So I think with society, there's a small part. I mean, even me and other people play as well, too, of like we need to kind of like examine things a little bit deeper and kind of get over this mentality that every president needs to be a Christian man or some type of aspect of this. I'm like, we're way, way past that. But there's still some old style notions that kind of seep through. Yeah, And, and uh, you've, you've made several very good points. Uh, some time ago, I was reading a book about uh, murder suspects and their lawyers, and often their attorneys don't even ask them if they're guilty, because that's not that's not what's important. What's important is is getting them, getting a jury to, to determine them, them not guilty. And again, as you say, these are people with law degrees, and they may be very prominent, and therefore, the public or a jury is going to believe what they say regardless of what that is. With, you mentioned the Warren Commission. Uh, many of the uh, members of Congress are, are millionaires and they are uh, lawyers, a lot of them. And so people look at people, oh, they have money, they're, they're so successful. What they say and do must be, must be right. You also talked about uh, news shows being entertainment. Just recently, uh, Sean Hannity was interviewed, or not interviewed, he was questioned uh, in a, a court and he said he never once for a minute believed that the uh, U.S. election, the previous U.S. election, 2020, was stolen. And yet he and his his shows, his programs, all have fostered that myth. And they've continued to speak, even though he said he didn't believe it. So this is where the idea of, of entertainment versus news comes into play. But as you, as you pointed out, people accept this as news. And they don't think... Uh, you also mentioned critical thinking, which is is certainly lacking in in so much of the public today. Uh, the evidence that the election was stolen is is almost non-existent. The election that it wasn't, the the evidence that it wasn't is is overwhelming. The, there have been recounts and audits. Uh, Trump's attorney, General Barr, uh, who was a toady if ever there was one, uh, he said it was the most it was it wasn't stolen but people are accepting what fox news says because they see that as a trusted news program sean hannity's up there as you said in, in his suit in his fancy office and so on and so people people are willing to accept that but there is so much going on that is simply not true that people are being fed and you need to look at it when i'm in the books that i write i try to find at least two sources for every fact that i that i come up with uh, and sometimes it's challenging to do but if I, if I don't find that, then I, I, I'm looking to see if maybe this, this fact that I found isn't in fact a fact, you know. And so I have to do a little more research, and and find out the truth of it. And if I find that it's not it's not true, then I don't put it in my book. But it would be easy to write an article or a book with just one, uh, one source that will agree with whatever it is that viewpoint that you wish to put across. And people read that and just accept it because the writer has a PhD after their name or they're a former congressman or former senator or something. And that gives them a prominence and a stature that they often don't deserve. I'm a patriot at heart. I really am. Um, I just, I am also very critical of a lot of the horrible things that do go on. And I get it. It's like, you know, you're looking and I don't I have so many friends of mine. Most of my generation is probably falls more in like the burning heart liberal category where it's like being an activist and throwing paint on a fucking painting think talking about climate change like i get it there's issues that we need to talk about too but i think you know you got to boil it down to what's deeper than that and just saying it's your president that's the problem i just go i just don't think that we we need to look at all media outlets we need to look at everything of how we're receiving information in society there's never this idea of objectional i tell anybody if i say anything look it up go look it up go find it i've talked to plenty of people with 
varying different opinions on things. It makes it fucking hard to have a conversation sometimes, but it's helps form a more balanced opinion on things. And I think like when I start bringing up things of like the church committee, people go, a oh, church committee exposed so much. I was like, it was a whitewash. I was like, this idea that our government's incompetent is a, is a joke. Don't say they're incompetent because who pays the price? Nobody pays the price. During the church committee, they were like, can we like publish your CIA budget to like the people? We don't think you need to do that. Okay. All right. Thank you. And they write it down. I read the 600 and something pages of the church committee report and influencing academia. Um, so many stuff on there. And people always bring up, they talked about the Kennedy assassination in the church committee report. No, they didn't. They talked about the Castro assassination attempts. They didn't talk about Kennedy assassination. They talked about the mob involvement. But even then, no agency besides William Colby embarrassing the agency's reputation. And that's everything has been trying to solidify this image of red, white, and blue. And I'm like – and that's why there's a big thirst for people out there wanting to expose the horrible actions that the government does and for good reason as well too. But I don't believe it's the complete 100 percent tear all opposite way either. I was like you got to find a middle ground here. You need to understand what your intelligence communities are doing and what your government's doing and make – you can't – destroy the past. You can tear up the history books, but you can't do anything about that. What you can do is make sure it never happens again. And a large amount of people, my generation, the burning heart liberal type I'm talking about, it gets a little bit difficult when I'm trying to talk to like my nephew. My nephew's like, yeah, the FBI is terrible. I'm like, very true. Let's make sure it doesn't happen again because it's still going on. You can't just say destroy the history books and delete all that recorded past. I'm like, because that's our evidence. That's to show you that this is why you should be aware and conscious of what's going on around. And I get that's, again, another unpopular opinion. But I try and look at it from more of like I don't have a political view here. I'm just kind of basing it off of my own morality and kind of human decisions when you start realizing that everything is kind of bullshit in a way. And I, I hate to say it like that, but when you start looking at Islam a little bit more and a bunch of other things a little bit more, you start going, what the hell is this Christian ideology? What is this idea that America is the only country like Superman only protects America? Come on, like go a little bit deeper than that. There's a world viewpoint aspect that you're not seeing. Definitely. And. You, you mentioned the idea of the U.S. being the world policeman and, and all this and and the Islamophobia and the, the hatred toward Islam. And when uh, Ukraine was invaded, there were broadcasters that actually said, this is, this is shocking. These are white Christians. They look like us. Uh, this one reporter said they drive cars like us. They watch Netflix. This isn't like a Middle Eastern country that's always at war. And... I was I was shocked that reporters thought that was acceptable to say, to say that the invasion of a mainly white Christian nation and, and Ukraine, I'm told, is pretty diverse. It's not mainly white Christian, but to say that uh, just shows an inherent racism, a, a built-in racism that it came across very strongly in that case. But how often does it come across more subtly? Uh, in, in on a daily basis, think of all the uh, black men, women, and children who've been killed by the police in the U.S. And in almost all cases, the police aren't uh, aren't even charged. When George Floyd was uh, was murdered, that was filmed, and it was would have been a little difficult for the uh, the prosecutor to say this was, or the police to say this was a justifiable action. But we see this this uh, subtle racism everywhere and blatant sometimes, but subtle sometimes. And we see the uh, the presses, as you mentioned, uh, echoing the government, the government, uh, what the government wants it to say. And we continue to see this. So people aren't, uh, aren't, as you mentioned, critically thinking, look at what's happening in a lot of schools in the States when uh, they're no longer allowed to talk about slavery because it makes people feel badly. And as you said, we can't erase the history. We need to learn from it because if we don't learn from it, we're going to repeat it. That's that's cliche. But people who are comfortable in their white suburban homes don't want anything to disturb their, their children in their school. And by saying that slavery was wrong and was brutal and was violent and was evil, uh, and by saying that the there are still impacts of it that are in action today in um, discrimination in in things like employment housing um, uh, education to say that that is still happening today 
disturbs people. And my thought is people need to be disturbed because that's the only way things are going to be changed. When I, I, I just very careful with like the, the labeling kind of like the, the, the white, like, you know, the talk of white and all this and all that. Because it reminds me so much of COINTELPRO. I mean, COINTELPRO, when Hoover, what he really went further than just invading the Black Panther Party with radicals and things of that sort to get them paranoid and attack each other, um, they were creating fake coloring books of black people beating up white people and cops and things of that sort and donating it to the white funders, sending it in their mail and having these people go, well, I don't want to fund this and then pull out of it. Whenever we get to that discussion of like, obviously, we know that a certain race and ethnicity is treated badly, but it's not that's not just the only one. Look at the history of disabilities, people with ADHD that were getting. So when you kind of bring in like this discussion and this is the issue that I kind of have is that when I start we start talking about subjects like this, people go and it's all white male privilege and they go down. I'm like, look. If you want the white male or the public to get in on the conversation, you can't say that because then people just throw up their hands like, I don't want to deal with this. And I'm like, this is a human thing. This is like, we're all people. If you can't see, I mean, because then it boils down to points where people look at my guest list and I've had psychologists say this. Is there a reason why you only talk to white men? I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? I've had 1300 conversations. I've reached out to plenty of people of all ethnicities. I'm not looking at that. I'm looking at what you created as a person to do that. But that's what devolves into the subject when it just gets boiled down into race. And I go, you don't want to hinder another thing or bring down another one to try and make levels even or anything. You raise everybody up. We do that as people. That's our best option here. We raise every single person up and we want progress. We have to look at it as a human subject aspect of things and people that are abusing power because they can. That's been might be a certain race throughout history. hundred percent. I'm not disagreeing with that. But look at prisoners, look at people in insane asylums, people that have no rights in the eyes of humanity, apparently, in society's view of things. And we're starting to turn those tides a little bit now. But I go, those people have been abused. They've been experimented on. Not just – I know people bring up the example of Tuskegee syphilis experiments. Dude, there's so many more examples out there and not just with certain ethnicities either. I go – to get like to start talking about it, you just realize these are this is a government that has had full reign to not give a shit about other people because they're not attached to them in any way, so they can abuse the hell out of their power. And now that brings everyone into the discussion. And no matter if you're Islam, no matter if you're whatever, it's just about we can identify as a nation just for the opening part of this, but as Americans, we got to look at the grand view of what we have and who we are as people, not political parties. Not this, just human beings who have emotions and feelings, and we can have conversations about these topics. And like I said, unpopular opinion, but I try and examine it that way, and I don't really – maybe it's because my ADHD, I tend to look kind of past you know, simple political things. I, I've had so many times either people yelling at me about races on my show or people will tell me about like you had too many Republicans on your show. I'm like, how the fuck do you know? Do you have like a, a dowsing rod where you're able to guess what they are? I just don't see that. I just – I look at like a person's viewpoint in history and kind of just trying to examine that and then talk to the other side as well too. But I don't think that's – crazy and i'm not the best at critical thinking but i think that's pretty critical when you kind of examine aspects of like as a society we function together we do better than together than we do apart i mean abraham lincoln's quote a house divided cannot stand and that's what the government's really good at making us do turning it into a political battle between two different sides turning it into a race battle between different ethnicities or having a discussion so damn taboo you can't talk about it and that's that to me is dangerous. It goes back to the point about the anti-Semitism before. I mean, when you label something like that, there are people that are might be curious, but will drop the discussion. But when you explain it's not being anti-Semitic, it's just talking about the government's issues, much like everyone knows we're openly talking about China's abuses or the CCP's abuses. And it's like there's no double standards in this. You can talk about the other one now, but we've somehow brainwashed ourselves to believe that we can't talk about it because it gets labeled in a certain category of racism. And that word is like, I mean, it, it gets tossed around a lot, sure, but it still leaves people, you know, dropping a topic when they probably should be talking about real issues that are going on against human rights. And I think a point you made that I really like is that we, can you hear me okay? Okay. Is that, the uh, we all we're all human, regardless of of uh, white or or people of color, disability, uh, sexual orientation, uh, male, female, whatever. And the divisions that have been artificially created between many of these categories is one of the things that's damaging us greatly as a society. Uh, if 
all the police in the U.S. believed that everyone was entitled to equal rights and, and had equal dignity, they wouldn't be patrolling uh, neighborhoods of people of color more than white neighborhoods. Um, if the justice system believed that, believed that also that in the inherent dignity of everybody, the U.S. prison population wouldn't be nearly as big as it is, one of the largest in the world, it wouldn't be overwhelmingly, the prisons wouldn't be overwhelmingly filled, filled with, with people of color, mainly Black people. So this is a, a fundamental issue. We have right now in the U.S., I say we, I'm still a U.S. citizen, although I live in Canada, uh, a very divided government. And one of the divisions is that uh, people want, people in power want to serve the people who look like them. And again, there is not a large minority population among the Senate and the House of Representatives. Uh, and this this causes problems domestically and throughout the world. So the this idea that you talked about, about fairness and equality is foundational to justice. And it's what's lacking in, in certainly the United States and in, in much of the world today. We need to put more profit or more power into nonprofit organizations. Um, people that are dedicated to, you know, coming at it more with a balanced approach. Like I would, I would never be president because I would never handle any of that situation. I would hate that. That's a curse that you put on someone to be president. Jesus, that's a tough decision. Um, but even with FBI directorship, I mean, you can look at Hoover as a horrible human being, but also look at like that's a guy exposed to something he should never have been exposed to, whether it's his own personality or things of that sort. But you have secrets of people, you have wiretaps on people, you have so much going on. There's no way that does not corrupt you as a human being where you lose many aspects of who you are and i think you know a lot of this a lot of these burdens where we just place a, one individual as the person that holds the key to this and then they kind of control all the other organizations like hands i go man i feel like at this point you got to kind of have like the balance like the hill that showed the hill with the republican uh news person then a democratic news person two people two opposing views that kind of talk about the issue and give both perspectives on each side and then the audience hears it and they kind of think of them rationally. And I think that's a good balanced approach, but also the number of nonprofit organization people I've talked to who have been, you know, campaigning for certain issues that they care about. I was like, you just need people that are invested in actually making a difference. You have a lot of people, um, congressmen, I would say as well, too, that have lost track of what ne necessarily should be right. Um, whether that's blackmail or bribery or something of that sort. Um, we all know it happens. There's plenty of jokes about politicians that if they were like a NASCAR person that had every sponsor person on their jacket, <laughs> yeah, you probably yes. lean to where they voted. Um, but I think when you kind of start examining, you know, what we have as people and what power we have, I mean, look at the George Floyd thing. I think everyone was appalled by that. And there was a lot of rising up against that as well, too. Um, and I think as people, we had power to really make something impactful and a difference. So we did. We got justice um, for whatever you want to call that justice being. But I just think we have so much power. But right when we get to the doorstep, we end up falling back when something is small dropped right in front of us. Um, it's like PETA, for instance, like people have issues with PETA. Um, I, I do a little bit, but like what they considered a win was getting the animal crackers, the animals behind the bars. They just replaced the bars in 2013 and they considered that a win. I was like, dude, I know like they just gave you something very small. Are you looking to what they're doing? And I think in another country they were doing something with clams or something or oysters. They were taking shells of oysters and making jewelry out of. I was like, that's a real issue. You could have you know, went after, but it's just the small stuff. And I don't know. I mean, I, I think at this point, it's much like filing a freedom of information act request. You're just happy if you receive something back and that's not how it should be. We should be demanding transparency and we should be getting exactly what the people deserve is the government serves the people, not us serving the government. And one of the things the government has done very well is convincing the people that it is not they who have the power. It's the government as a power. And it's really the other way around. If people could, could simply realize that uh, nonprofits can do so much, but it's hard to get funding because they, they rely mainly on, on private donations. Um, but the, the idea that the government knows best is something we talked about this a little bit earlier uh, because they have the, the degrees and the, and the look and the expensive suits or whatever. Uh, people surrender their power 
to other people who don't have their best interests. You also talked about the, the, the NASCAR analogy. Uh, most elected officials in the U.S. spend at least half a day every day, uh, every week, doing fundraising. So when the NRA or uh, the uh, American Israel Political Affairs Committee uh, gives them millions of dollars, and then legislation comes up that is favorable to the NRA or to Israel, those representatives are not in a position. They they don't feel that they can vote what's right. They have to vote what's going to keep their funding uh, in, in place. And as a result, the, uh, the laws that are passed don't reflect the needs of the of the people. Uh, Fairleigh Dickinson University did a study a few years ago that's that indicated that the amount of influence that voters have on legislation is minimal. It, it's almost non-existent. But the amount of information that that lobbyists, that corporations have is what's predominant. And that that needs to change. That's that's why there are so many problems in the world. I'm definitely not going to be able to solve it on a podcast, but I, that doesn't hurt. Definitely talking about it a little bit too. I mean, there's just there's a lot of stuff that's like once you start kind of learning. I was like, I get it why people just want to go to their job and take care of their family. I was like, what else do you? Yeah, well, I mean, what can you do? There's just so much that's like ingrained into society when it comes to like government. That's like it seems like even every four years, it seems like it might make a difference to me. I've just lost hope in that aspect yeah. of things. There's yeah, just, I have too. There's just there's a lot going on, but. I don't know. Maybe we'll see some people, you know, I'm not saying spark up a riot, but I think enough people, you know, you get enough transparency on some things, at least giving people the opportunity to question things. I mean, that's what scares me about the internet as well, too. How many topics are unfindable because they took it off of a search list or put it to the bottom of the results. And it's a, you know, hard navigated world, but I'm glad people like yourself have made books, you know, kind of examining a lot of things, at least educate some people. But um, if you want to give a Shout out to where people can find your links, um, your website, um, any other things, Twitter, Facebook, anything like that? Sure. My website is robertfantina.com, and I'm available on Twitter, Facebook, and and the, the usual social media uh, sites as Robert Fantina. I'm going to make sure I follow you on Twitter. I'm going to link all your links in the description. It's been a pleasure chatting with you, and thanks for listening to this episode of the Blank Podcast.